0: Welcome to the East Kicks podcast, a regular magazine programme about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of eastandkicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hello. Each episode we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Hello again and welcome to our latest show, a special episode focusing on a favourite of mine, James and Hong Kong film fans everywhere, hmm. The Bride with White Hair. This time we're joined by author, film lecturer and Eastern Kicks contributor, Colette Bauman. (laughs) Hi (laughs) Colette. We'll also hear from the last of our Udine Far East Film Festival campus correspondents. Cool. But first, let's get on to that important question. What are you drinking this episode, James?
1: I'm going to absolutely shock you. For the first time in the history of Eastern Kicks podcast, I'm not drinking liquor or wine. I have gone for a beer today. And it's actually a grapefruit IPA <laughs> it's a, a William Brothers Rubus grapefruit IPA which is coming in at like about 5.7% so robust Ooh, and it's bad. actually quite refreshing and yourself oh,
0: lovely <laughs> um, I'm back with our uh... Unofficial non-sponsors, Howling <laughs> Hops, and I've got a can of Rooftops. Ooh. It's a New England triple IPA. Triple, wow. Or they, they call it a, it's a Net IPA on there. And I was wondering if it was one of their typos, because they, they do a lot of typos. Um, and it's it's a 9.5%. So, okay, uh, that is that is very... More, we're going to have to keep this podcast short, because I'm going to be a mess <laughs> by about half an hour. Well, that's not a bad uh, thing. And, and how about you, Colette? you going to be
2: exciting? Yeah, <laughs> 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 mine's alcohol free. <laughs> so it's some um, Kopenberg, premium cider, mixed fruit.
1: Fair
3: enough.
2: That'll be fine.
4: One, you have to remember, the right and the right is the water, <音><音><音>
0: so on the main chat. The Bribe White Hair was released on Blu-ray this month from a 4K restoration by Eureka Entertainment. And it's as part of their... Eureka Classics range Mm. Um, and I have to say I'm not quite sure how they pick what titles go into what range so this wasn't (laughs) one of the masters of cinema this is their Eureka Classics and Mm. sometimes it's like maybe that's a reflection on
1: Ronnie Yu he's not a master of cinema or is it the film that's the master?
0: (laughs) see (laughs) that's the question it was originally released on the 26th of August 1993 Mm. um, directed by Ronnie Yu uh, starring Bridget Lin and Mm. Leslie Cheung despite coming at what was really the tail end of that early 90s explosion of so-called waifu wuxia mm. it was hugely successful with Hong Kong audiences but also mm. interesting it's very popular internationally as well mm. and it's based on a long-running serialised novel by 20th century martial arts writer Liang Yushan, BFR Mono Chuan uh, apologies for my pronunciation which <laughs> literally translates as the white-haired witch huh? um, and of course it wasn't by any means the first adaption of the story I mean uh, The original serialized novel was in the late '50s, and I think within a year it had spawned a three-part Hong Kong movie from 1959. Mm. Then he got there. There've been other versions, and Mm. please chip in if you've 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 got other (laughs) versions between. But you know, there's the um, and he's a. I think in all cases the actual Chinese title is the same as the original novel, or Mm. pretty much all of them. But there was in Hong Kong in 1980. There was White Hair Devil Lady. Mm-hmm. um which is quite a beautiful looking film but quite static uh in taiwan there was wolf's devil woman um <laughs> from 1982 which seems to kind of follow the late 70s early 80s lady of vengeance kind of taiwanese exploitation movies there's a lot, actually a lot of gore in it oh, from what i've enough. seen then there's and, uh, and this list will not be by any uh, means um, inclusive of absolutely everything that was going out there. But um, in 1986, there was a, a TV series in Hong Kong called *The Romance of the White Hair Maiden*, uh, which had Amy Yip oh, really? in a minor role for a few episodes. Um, Very nice. So, uh, I mean, it was it was a story that that, that there had been a lot of versions of it. And it was quite familiar to particularly in audiences in Hong Kong, but mm. I think across you know into into taiwan as well mm. um you know but i think i think we all agree we we are massive fans of the film we, are, yeah, we all, yeah, we all love it a bit you know and it's mm. what was it that, that made it quite so special you know what was the take that made sure. it so i mean
1: yeah i mean it was one of the first ones i would have seen i have, i mean not as early as 1993 but when it was the old um tartan uh, i guess dvd of it which would have come out over here in the uk so I, you know, I caught up with it a, bit year, a few years later when I'd already seen, obviously, stuff like Zoo Warriors and whatnot and everything. So I think first time, I mean, I loved it first time I saw it, but it was probably a little bit after that, I realized it was a more recent one than some of those older ones, which I might you know maybe would have associated it still with and everything. So it's, and it is quite a different film to those. And I guess, you know, we'll get more into how much of that is down to like Ronnie Yu as a director and his kind of take on the material and everything. But yeah, I mean, partly as well, just the cast, you know, just a Bridget Learn, Leslie Chung. I mean, it's iconic film in so many different ways. You, you can see why it's kind of remained, uh, remained a favourite with so many of
0: us. Because I guess, you know, part of it is that he, you know, even even from the original Hong Kong film from 1959, where there was a, a trio of films to tell the story. Mm. I mean, part of it is that he really... Hones down on that story and yeah. the amount of characters that, that 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 are discussed. I mean, that's mm. that's one of the strengths, and and just takes it to a real core of mm. the story. And you know, and then we should talk, kind of talk about the, the 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 way that he adapts the story, yeah. as he really turns it into a. Um, I know that there are actually, like most martial arts novels, there are, you know, multiples of characters. Warring clans. (laughs) Warring clans, you know. And he keeps the warring clan part of it, you know. And I think you you do Mm. see some of those characters. But, you know, Mm. whereas, you know, even in the 90s um, Wuxia, you you get the idea that somebody may appear on screen for a couple of minutes. But, you know... There'll be a you know, often they, they would be introduced by a little bit of text on the screen, mm-hmm. so you'd know how important they were to the story, <laughs> even though they're only there for five seconds. Yeah, he really simplifies it down to it being a Romeo and Juliet story, yeah. these 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 two, you know, two lovers who are or two, two people who become lovers from mm. completely different clans or completely opposite sides of that, you know, that, that battle, um, and turns it into a Romeo and Juliet, um, you know, and and exploits the kind of uh, which i think is part of the story that there is a misunderstanding that, that kind of yeah breaks them up when actually they're, they're, they're just on the, the cusp of
1: mm. you
3: know
0: just leaving behind the whole <laughs> martial art we'll yeah without, without making you spoilers but i'm sure there's a lot of lessons <laughs> to <this. You've> probably
1: <laughs> away. i don't think it's a spoiler situation but no I, I totally agree yeah i mean it's there's so many great films from that kind of genre in the time but you know some of them are pretty hard to follow as you say, you have so many characters yeah. flashing up on screen, and it. I thought I used to think it was maybe a subtitles thing, I and mean, I was just too slow reading it. But no, it, it's just you take a massive text and you pack it into like an hour and a half or less, and you're going to lose so much detail. And, and yeah, he, as you say, like he really. It's it's not even that. So I mean, simplifies always sounds like damning with faint praise, but you know, he he really sort of gets to the essence of that yeah. sort of Shakespearean yeah. Shakespearean story to it, and uh, you know, I had the alternate Cantonese title, which was. Like Jiang between love and glory, and it oh, sort man. of, and it sort of boils down to that kind of choice between like love or, I mean, and duty, I guess, to your clan, to your. Uh to your Wu Tang Clan, everything, <laughs> <And it's>, <laughs> <laughs> which is great, but absolutely, I, I think that's the key thing about it, because otherwise,
0: you know, we should explain. Yeah, I mean, it, we should explain it one of the clans. I mean, as yeah. it's translated variously, mm. is is the Wu Tang Clan. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's translated in a slightly different way on uh, various subtitles. It but, yeah, it does um, depend
1: which one you're watching, but um, but I think I think that's a key thing because a lot of, you know, sort of casual martial arts fans or somebody who might say they maybe enjoy a couple of key ones like. Uh, Zoo Warriors, Mr. Vampire, and something like that. Some of the more dense ones, you probably put them off. But the, the way he did this, everything that it's still pretty accessible. Everything that it's pretty efficient as well. Like, you know the story. You know it, it's. We'll talk about the film more. It's not the fastest moving film, but the the story itself is is very focused, which is nice.
0: I think if we can talk about the approach, I think it's interesting that I believe that Ronnie Yeah was was not because actually a lot of his life he was brought up in the states he wasn't mm. it was one person who wasn't massively aware of the story even though everybody around him was working with his, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was but his take on it i mean we talk about it, it finding an international audience but also mm. that he was very much focused on on the film getting an international audience mm-hmm. i mean, you can kind of see that that his approach is and then and off actually i think throughout his film career as well but, yeah you know definitely on this film he's ironing out some of the intricacies that you get in in even you know mm. the, you know some of the, the the slicker bigger budget wuxia films of this time from yeah ching and you know and chai hag and and, mm-hmm. and really flattening some of that out in order to get much more of a uh a, a much more of a, a western kind of approach to mm-hmm. to the films
1: yeah yeah i think that's totally fair
2: i mean i i think it is key isn't it that has like a beginning middle and end that has that mm. kind of conventional narrative trajectory um mm. because i think so many of of the kind of films of the time are very confusing <laughs> that, that, that you have to sort of you have to in let, a nice way you have to yeah you have to kind of let go of the narrative in order to enjoy <laughs> the films which, which kind of is yeah. not not necessarily a bad thing yeah. but i kind of think it limits your audience
3: Mm-hmm. In, in,
2: in, you know if people really can't follow it. and I think in the in the West we're much more we, we value kind of narrative motiva- motivation. Mm-hmm. you know the, the kind of enigma, the kind of um, puzzle that has to be solved or the conflict. And, and so we really value explanations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mm-hmm. always think that's a kind of key key kind of difference, especially when you are looking at um, films of the kind of, I don't know, 80s and 70s in, in sort of Chinese language cinemas. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I, I think you can connect, you can kind of connect to the characters, you can connect to the romance. And I think some of the kind of adaptions of it that don't foreground the romance, mm-hmm. actually, you don't connect to them. Be, because. I think that's, that's, that's kind of what the film really, really gets right. It's the kind of relationship that you're invested in the characters and you want them to end up together. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if it's not as fast as some of those films might be, it, it's the kind of characterisation that keeps you going.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone's sort of familiar, whether it's Chinese audiences or Western audiences, with that whole kind of like doomed doomed romance, doomed tragic lovers thing, whether it's, you know, Romeo or Juliet or Dream of the Red Chamber or anything. That's, yeah. It's got that very sort of universal thing, uh, which yeah. was, you know, played upon in like trailers and artwork and stuff for it as well, certainly in the West. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely, it didn't come across as being something which was going to be like culturally baffling. Yeah. or narratively baffling yeah, for yeah. people, which is...
0: And I think because he doesn't... I mean, I, I think that's the thing, you know, as I, I said before, I think it's, it's kind of that idea that with the other films, they there's still kind of a, a weight and importance to those kind of characters, whereas here he just kind of strips that back. It's like they're mm. not going to be on screen for a long time. You, you just kind of... Really just the kind of the, 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 the top level. Okay, these are the two different sides. You don't have to know the, 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 the mm. hierarchy in, in that detail. You don't have yeah. to know the... You know, and it, which is, I think that's one of the kind of main things it's quite a, a different approach to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's confusing if you read Shakespeare, if you read Romeo and Juliet or something <laughs> like that. By the time you've got this fucking Montagues and Capulets or whatever, man, you just you couldn't you don't know who they are yeah. or, or forget about it. So it's it's whether it's the clans or that side of it, yeah. He, he sort of meets somewhere in the middle and does a very good job of very good job of actually Where's focusing you? the story there. You know, but uh, you know, I but it is. I think the other thing which is different about it, which was I when I rewatched it again not long ago for the Eureka one, um, it's like it's in some ways I had it remembered in my mind as being more like a fantasy one, like a Zoo Warriors type one like that. I mean obviously it's quite a long time afterwards those ones, mm. but I think a lot of time it still gets um, I don't want to say lumped in with, but you know, it still kinda of goes under that kinda of like fantasy, crazy, crazy, crazy. issue. Type of thing with lots mm. of madness going on, and everything like that. Whereas it's watching it again, it, it it's it is like a lot more of um, like more of a considered film, like a lot of uh, sort of really visual storytelling rather than yeah. the, you know very, not just very yeah. not but we'll just being not that, but, yeah. not just not being plot driven, but just yeah how little dialogue and stuff there actually isn't yeah. a lot of the time, which is which is, <laughs> yeah. which is which is good as well. I mean that is possibly another reason. And again,
0: I think I think again that was was quite deliberate. Yeah, you know, the, 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 if you're going to have the English dub of mm. the film there's not actually—that's much, <laughs> much to dub. <laughs> very, that's you don't have that awkward, awkward, uh, <laughs> very British accents or whatever they're using. <laughs> um, I mean, the other part of the way it shot as well. I think this is something that plays into a lot of what uh, uh, you did. Was uh, you know, I do feel that there's a lot of there's a lot of horror. There's a lot yeah. of kind of you know, there's kind of exploitation mm. conventions. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, again, that's kind of yeah in some ways it's i mean it wasn't that what that wasn't happening in hong kong films but it is. it it feels a little more for one of a better word kind of grounded than, mm. than some of those more random things you can get in a lot of uh, hong kong films
1: yeah that, that's true man mm. i mean he'd done he'd done a bit of horror before um in hong kong running you as well he'd, he'd done like the trail uh, of course yeah, which is fantastic film. I fucking love the trail and the trail but it's the trail's a good example maybe of that as well because it takes some like a sort of something which is very sort of not saying it's real Chinese mythology but you know it, it takes what the, the films take us some like Taoist mythology and stuff but it's fairly it's got quite a lot of western influences everything yeah, the, the trailer as well I mean some of them
0: very direct as well I mean it's direct <laughs> in that film without going off itself, but you know the direct references in that film to Alien um, and a lovely kind of bit at the end which is a direct reference to The Exorcist yeah, and
1: you've got even like the, the music and everything carefully lifted from very- <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah but he'd he done, like, The Occupant as well, with Chow Yun-Fat mm. and Bless This House, which are more, you know, ghost comedy ones, but, you know, oh, there we go, nice. Yeah, and he's just flashing up the... He's showing off his DVDs. <laughs> 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 and that was just randomly... Just randomly lying there as well. Just randomly lying there. <laughs> good films, though. get yeah, good films, Bill. All three of those. But, yeah, so he, yeah. Had, he had a background, but you're right. that Most of this type of film... Uh, this was one of the f- the first ones which kind of like moved into. So if you take like Chinese ghost stories, say, which has still got a romance yeah. plot, that was much more on the zoo warriors, uh, wacky so against yeah. wrong, yeah. but sort of yeah. crazy fantasy. Whereas you're right this is more this is more grounded, um, if not visually, than you know the characters and everything about it, with horror elements rather than fantasy it's, it's, elements.
0: It's much more considered i think and maybe that's Mm. kind of a point to go into the the visuals part of it as well that Mm. that it's you know i mean yeah famously yeah the cinematographer is peter powell who Mm. would later win an oscar for crouching tiger (laughs) um you've got people like eddie mar who's the art director one of the other interesting choices is the japanese costume designer Okay. Emmy Wada, who um, ah right, I didn't know you that. Know, who who'd actually she would worked on Akira Kurosawa films. Mm-mm. You know, but then after after this, she did other films. I mean, I think we can kind of we can talk about that in a bit as well. True. Kind of the legacy of this, but mm. yeah, was kind of right hand man basically. David Wu, who was the editor. Mm. I co-wrote the script. He, um, I think, did some of the music editing as well. And, <laughs> you know i mean he he's he's oh. the, definitely the 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 real kind of one of the kind of driving forces but it, it is visually it is such a considered movie mm. And I think, you know, I, I mean, I always thought of it, I mean, for a long time. A long time, really, the Easton Kicks website when it launched back in, in 2002. Well, will know that I've used the script for um, The Broadway here before. But I always felt like it was if um, and Pressburger had gone off and made a Wuxian movie. It's, um, it's so... <laughs> yeah, I can dig that. You know, I mean, it, yeah, you know, yeah. it, there's some bits where, you know, like mm. the, like when the the Lester Jones character's growing up and he's being taught in the sort of autumn leaves and the are kind of almost mm. kind of gone with the wind kind of set behind yeah. it. Mm. Um, you know, there's the way that it's introduced. It's kind, of, it's kind of weird where a lot of cinema had gone away from being very studio-based and all the kind of the, the Shaw brothers of the... Mm. The films of the sixties and seventies, where they're all done in the studio. I mean, sure, not everybody had the the power to have like a very big outdoor studio like the Shaw Brothers did. But mm. there'd been a definite move outside of the studio in, into the eighties with the you know the new wave Hong Kong directors. Mm. And this solidly brings it back in. So you've got the wonderful kind of introduction with Leslie Jung at the beginning, where he's on the mountain top, <laughs> you know, and. doesn't i don't even know what he quite does but you know people are kind of (laughs) bursting and blood's going everywhere but it's he's so beautifully lit his hair all disheveled and yeah i mean it's it's it is visually it's an absolutely Mm. amazing movie and again you know i think it 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 pays into what you place into what you said before about really trying to make this yeah not much dialogue really kind Mm. of based on the on the visual parts of the of the story and just make it work yeah. without without there the being the need for a translation in a sense i think that's mm. a very powerful part of the film
1: yeah for sure and, and i think that this is where we were chatting about this before like pulling out some of the influences himself i mean he's you know he said himself like he was very influenced by ridley scott visually for the <laughs> film and brand, mm. you know coppola's francis for coppers dracula <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> to give it its full title, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but
1: he also you know you know he also said last of the Mohicans. I mean not so much visually, I guess, but that's an interesting one.
0: You can see that in the way that the Bridget Lynn clan mm. that she's associated with is is very kind of it looked they look like a, a sort of indigenous tribe so mm, That's true. It's true. Yeah. 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 I, I I never thought about it before, but yeah. Again, it's 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 very much a a, a goal to try and get this. We need to actually kind of aim for an international audience. And I think perhaps perhaps recognising something in some ways a bit more than... You know, I mean, I guess this is the point where where Hong Kong directors were starting to make that crossover. Mm. Um, you know, just about the time of uh, Hard Targets was around that time. That's true, yeah. It would be about yeah. the same. Broken Arrow yeah. Yeah, was the, uh, the I other just, one that was kind of going around that time. I get... I you know, get, and I that's a, the start up. of... of, 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 of yeah. I think, you know, the, 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 he was obviously aware that people in Hollywood were, were taking notice and also mm. that there was a chance to try and reach audiences, but perhaps more so with doing a Hong Kong film than some of those directors just went, oh, fine, we, you know, we'll just do an American <laughs> version of it. You know, with we won't Van, worry yeah. about... With Van Damme. With Van Damme, yeah. Mm. <laughs> or John Travolta.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but... Is what, what was his first What was his first one? It was, a, it was uh, before Better Chicken. Uh, first Hollywood. Hollywood one, yeah.
0: Uh, Warriors of Virtue. Warriors. of That's ah, uh, that's uh,
1: I can I can remember I did see it quite a long time after it came out. Uh, his first English like language one. And, <laughs> yeah. But then yeah, but then then Bride of Chucky, everything like that. But he still he still worked with you know some of his usuals and everything on on these mm. films in Hollywood as well. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe he. I wonder if that how much control then he was given for those, for those films actually, because he you know his his films were more, you know you have Bride of Chucky like Fifty First Day. Um, for better or worse freddy versus jason person personally like it a lot but a lot of people <laughs> kind of trash it because it's a nonsense film but it's a very funny nonsense film but um you know his films are more consistent or coherent than a lot I of things so i would say that, that as well there. i would
0: i would say that you know he doesn't have those there's nothing you know, awkward I mean, you're you're not, nothing not awkward kind of reached the same heights but they mm. don't reach mm. the same lows either and i think you know he was just oh brady chucky's of
1: chucky's more, I'm not a massive fan of the child's play franchise but it's you know it's, it's, it's way
0: it's, it's easily the the best yeah of the world, isn't it? it I mean it's I think, a good one I think you know I mean I, I always kind of question how much of that was him mm-hmm. or him being kind of used by the the writer producer mm-hmm. um, to really kind of push through their vision of it
1: yeah know, possibly but, but it, either way it turned out it, it does. It doesn't feel like a. Well, you can't really call a child's play film compromised, I guess. But it, it no. doesn't. It doesn't feel like. A oh, no, it feels like something, something else. It you. feels
0: like they took it to a different, different place. I mean, getting Jennifer <laughs> Tilly in as as, as, <laughs> as as the bride actually <laughs> just right. took it to a whole new level. But anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Fred, say Freddie versus Jason again. It's it's different to the other ones, kind of in the series. It has, a, it has a much more of a, a higher energy feel, a lot more people like yeah, jumping like- around and doing actually doing stuff in there. So again, whatever the the kind of reasons behind it, they they certainly feel like films which he was involved in, were rather than mm. just kind of like ticking boxes, everything like that. So
2: because it's really, I mean, it's really difficult to know most most sort of Hong Kong Korean Japanese directors who've got, gone over to kind of work in America have had very bad experiences yeah. and, and kind of experiences that have been sort of defined by having very little control over mm. um what they do. Because mm. I think um yeah. uh, I mean the carte had a really bad experience. But but then he continued. I mean I think it's kind of interesting, isn't it, the way in which directors kind of cross over and mm. um you know what they bring to those films but also what they have to sacrifice in terms of making those films as well
3: mm-hmm.
2: so um you know and of course this is this is i mean when is when's john woo's first hollywood film uh
1: hard target um i'm gonna 90 <laughs> are we gonna are we gonna take a guess on it before while we all practically double check 1993 uh, <laughs> <two. laughs> that's the uh,
0: Okay. I was gonna say. I, 90, I was gonna
1: say ninety two is a guess, but
0: I would have thought it was that. Like, I thought it was earlier as well. Yeah.
1: But yeah, right, but as you were saying, yes, it's right But it is that whole period where those films are going across and being reasonably successful in the states. Most of those ones as well, whether they were cinema releases like um, Hard Target and stuff, or some of the more direct to direct to DVD stuff. I mean, that was a big, you know, the, was a big market. At well, the time
0: direct to well. direct to VHS in those days. Or laserdisc, direct laser disc. <laughs> I knew you were gonna I, I knew you were
1: gonna <laughs> That's that's how you've shamed yourself today though. You held up a DVD, not a laser disc. <laughs> <laughs> no, a laser to... for, for the people <laughs> well, at home. Now in. there we go. He's got he's got <laughs> the laser disc out Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're gonna oh there's a <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> we're gonna have to do Eastern Kings video podcast so, so everyone who's listening can get like the full full appreciation of the old Moskens laser disc collection. Possibly one of, one of the largest in the, largest in the world, world, world or, or the largest, largest in Bow largest largest in, in East London.
2: <laughs> 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 It seems to be kind of, yeah. one of the things that kind of sets these kind of um, directors that come coming over from sort of Hong Kong is the mm. st- style, the stylism, that they bring something mm. aesthetically different.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and and the kind of choreography, they kind of bring that too. And in a way it kind of refreshes um, Hollywood sort of, or or US sort of action and horror films, it because it brings something new. Um,
3: yeah.
2: And and you can see those influences. So when I was thinking to um, Freddie versus Jason, which I haven't seen mm-hmm. for a while, but I can remember the kind of visuals of it. So I, I think mm-hmm. there was certainly, and the sort of choreography, always a kind mm-hmm. of dance-like choreography, that mm. it kind of brings to kind of action films, which had been very kind of hard hitting.
5: There hadn't yeah. been
2: yeah. a lot of um, uh, there hadn't been a lot of subtlety, and there hadn't been a lot of planning those kind of sequences out. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. And,
3: well, and so you didn't I guess, I mean,
2: get that in horror, really, at all. Mm,
1: no, that, that's definitely true. I mean, getting I mean, away from the, the horror side, I mean, that's what was kind of interesting, I guess, about Hard Target and John, which yeah. was produced by Sam Ramai... It, it produced yeah. it and, and you know he was the one who kind of pulled John Woo over whereas you know quite a lot of those other films like uh, were influenced by the evil dead yeah. everything like that. even just yeah. some of like yeah. the you know the old the camera work and everything like that so yes. I mean it's it's nice when you see that kind of um, this, this is this appreciation uh, cu- cultural communi- <laughs> cultural <laughs> cinematic yeah. communication yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not but it's yeah, but it's nice when you can you can see that kind of wider view of things like that. and that's why <laughs> yes. Ronnie you kind of Quite nicely sits in the middle of that. I mean, mm-hmm. what I mean. Another quick anecdote about uh, Bride, then, which I picked up when I was researching on this. I mean, it, so they, they did the post, the sound post, and everything in Canada as well because they wanted to. It was the first Hong Kong to actually mix in Dolby. So then the problem was when he came back to Hong Kong because they would use all these Western mixing techniques. So when he brought it back to Hong Kong, a lot of the cinemas couldn't actually play the film properly. So they had to go around all the cinemas and testing and listening through, making sure it actually sounded okay. And he'd said that was specifically because they wanted this sort of sound level, which people around the world were to, used to listening to, not just like Hong Kong audiences. So he's clearly always, you know, he's had a, an eye on that kind of uh, international mm. audience for the film, rather than just um, either a local one or kind of a, a, a kind of a fan audience in Western countries, which is quite interesting. And you can definitely see that. <laughs> so
4: let's
0: chat about the cast then you know i mean it is the the magical kind of relation yeah. with uh, of bridget lin and Leslie Chung who surprisingly didn't Work together mm. out of all the kind of Hong Kong stars, they didn't work together that much apart from that's from very this film. so. You've got you've got Action of Time, mm. um, which was ongoing <gasps> thanks to Wong Kawe <laughs> being completely <laughs> yes, so, 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 so so ongoing, ongoing <laughs> that he went off of <laughs> the shopping express <laughs> and also produced um Jeffrey Lau doing um Eagle Eagle uh, shooting, heroes. shooting Heroes, yeah, and you know so. Uh, this was one of those rare occasions where they were and i I think one of the strengths of this is that they were cast to their strengths you know i think one of the great things about this is that they were cast to their strengths that both of them are playing against you know gender stereotypes you've got Bridget then who's the very kind of aggressive you know if you're like masculine kind of role she doesn't mm. really listen to anyone she's a straight in there she's, she's not one for talking um and then Leslie Cheung mm. is the sensitive guy who's kind of like hey you know, I'm, I'm brought up as a fighter but it's not really yeah. what I want to do yeah you know and I think I think that's part of what comes across on screen is you know and part of why yep. we why we buy into this you know before so before we were you know we were just kind of doing the test recording we're talking about you know the, there is a special chemistry going on here that, that mm. and I think that you don't get generally that you don't get as as much in 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 in, in films anywhere. But you know, at this mm. era of of Hong Kong film, where you've you know and and earlier where you've got the chemistry between Bridget and Leslie mm. that just works so well.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. They're, so, They're fantastic in the film. It, it was kind of coming at a you know interesting point in both their careers yeah. uh, i mean for leslie chung as you're saying like, kind of playing against type but it, it was more in that kind of um early 90s where he was becoming more comfortable mm. uh, i guess with properly playing those kind of roles mm. and everything you know he'd been he'd been working with like uh won kar why he, he had that brief weird fake not fake but retirement thing where he moved to mm. to canada at the end of the 80s and then <laughs> that didn't last very long and then he was you know he was doing like won kawai like uh days in being wild like obviously mm. like the ongoing ashes of time everything um but this was the kind of time where he was he was kind of more embracing that kind of non-traditional macho you know persona in films like uh, yes. also also like farewell my concubine around <clears throat> right about 93 as well so he's got a fantastic balance She's a woman
0: she's a man as well so that's right that's, yeah. That's so, kind
1: of yeah yeah so he was getting into all those different kinds of films around then and then matching him with bridget lynn in that kind of later Later stages of her career because she didn't really do too much after.
0: Well, I mean, after the thing is this, so you had when, you know, when actually of time finally came out, and there was a few yeah. more films, and then she she married, she did the what was then the very classic thing of marrying and retiring. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, with, with only a kind of a couple of voiceover roles, I think. since. That's really. true, that,
1: yeah, there wasn't there's not been much at all, so yeah, so it was an interesting time in their careers, and so for her playing that kind of strong. She was coming off stuff like swordsman 2 yeah. and everything like that. Mm. So, it was it was just a perfect match getting those two. I yeah. mean, I mean they're both fantastic performers who had a huge amount of like screen charisma yeah. as well. Mm. And then, as you say, like them with roles kind of like designed around them everything. Yeah, it's just you know lightning striking everything yeah. no, you it was like that.
2: No, and you don't usually in in kind of film which has this kind of I don't know gothic fantasy mm. element get. Traditionally, get actors who are at this kind of stage in their careers, you know. They're both kind of coming towards the end of their careers for kind of different reasons,
3: Mm. but they're
2: both, you know, sort of great actors and actresses that they're kind of Mm. at their kind of best, I think. And um, I do think, I mean, I kind of think that, you know, if Leslie Chung had had not um, sort of Decided that things were too hard, and if Bridget Lynn had kind of stuck around, I think they would have been one of those enduring star couples Mm. that you kind of, yeah. Because in the few films they're in together, they sort of, I think, they kind of complement each other. The kind of sort of masculinity in Bridget Lynn complements the femininity. In in Leslie Chung, without without them being less of a man or less than a woman, and I I kind of think yeah. it's it's, mm. yeah. it's very and you don't I mean Hong Kong cinema does explore that and 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 therefore um, there are ways in which those kind of gender roles are less. I don't know. I mean, I kind of think that that outside of cinema and outside of the performances, I I think mm. you know the situation was quite different and I think Leslie Chung had a very difficult time Um, but um, I I think yeah I mean I think that they light the screen up and you totally believe in the romance you believe in Mm, you invest in this because um, there's something so I don't know it's transcendent I mean I can't think of very many you know you have to go back to old Hollywood to see this kind of stardom to see that yeah. kind
1: of yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, th- yeah no, I think the kind of doomed romance part of yeah. it sort of ties into it as well. it's not like a, a what would you say a sort of rom-com lovey-dovey kind of traditional romance type thing everything it's very pained it's pretty, you know, it's pretty angsty and everything like that both the characters are obviously you know Troubled for their own reasons, everything. So I,
0: yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I like what you're saying there because I could, I could easily imagine that a year or two down the line, if if Bridget Lynn had, had stayed acting, they're being, you know, them being in a in a more of a, a more of a rom com mm. in a sort of you know in a sort of Catherine Hepburn versus Cary yeah, Grant yeah. kind of a way because <laughs> they, they had those kind of and uh, you, mm. I, mean, I think that's something that that's quite true of a, a lot of the Hong Kong stars of the the eighties is that they you know and it 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 was a very studio based system and and therefore mm. what you get you got out of it from the 70s and 80s from the from the 60s onwards but from the, you get from the 70s and 80s is you get these stars like bridget you know and like leslie who are completely out of golden era hollywood mm. they are you know they have that kind of as you say, kind of transcendent kind of like you know it's it's a it's a it's a whole other level of, of stardom and, you know and they're just kind of professionality and the just just is in their dna really it's it's something mm-hmm. else again it's not people throwing phones at, at uh, poor members of staff and, <laughs> no.
2: and of course Bridget
0: you know Bridget Lynn
2: had been in over 100 films by the time she got to this so she mm, was yeah. uh, incredibly um, you know even though she was quite young when she retired she she had she had worked like if you talk about like the studio system yeah that's how mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like,
0: 17, 18 years yeah, old yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you know i mean and also i mean uh, being lucky enough to actually kind of interview her in person but and she really doesn't look any older than she wasn't did in the <laughs> chunking expresses but um you know it, she she really really enjoyed the process of, of filmmaking mm. of, of, of mm. you know she's i mean uh, the the just respect you know that the working with directors you know every I kind of always saw it as kind of a you know the way she kind of put it as, as being a you know like a, a another family for her okay. things. Mm. and so you know and they're there everyone's trying to keep to a, you know okay well it's you know it's time to pack up and she's like no no, no we can finish this scene no, i don't <laughs> mind I just i don't want to go home now let's, let's carry on the screen shooting the film
4: well, this particular oh. character, as you said earlier, she's aggressive, yeah. so she's the wild one, yes. and, and it's very different from all the other roles she has played. Yes. This is the one that has a romance yeah. in the story
0: So That's Bridget Lin herself, translated by a previous guest to the program, Sophia Wong buchio of Asian Pop-Up Cinema.
4: <laughs> so there was particular uh, scene that they were floating in the water. Yeah, she remembered the water was not clean at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> So she said, you know, they both character in <laughs> that yeah, particular scene was they have <laughs> you know sort of pop up from the water <laughs> and they have to in a very sexual, you know, uh, intimate uh, scene and uh, uh, she said she appreciated that Leslie gave her a lot of hints, the tips how to do that and, and they were also good friends so they, they immediately they get get into the mood of that particular scene. Uh, So, so actually, uh, she was uh, approached by the director and Peter Pau, the cinematographer, DOP. Uh, One day, they said uh, they want to have a private conversation with her in the dressing uh, room and kick everybody out of the room, and they asked her particularly, uh, that whether she's interested to have a little bit of nudity in this uh, waters you know see at that point she said no 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 I'm not gonna do it but when they actually get so into the shot she was so into it she said I got what i said yes or no
2: and she was a very very strong woman so she didn't she 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 managed to evade the kind of Kind of things that happen quite often in cinema with with women actresses, sort of before that and at the time, you know, she's talked about that.
0: Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I mean, she's she was quite because uh, this is back when she was a Udonage mm. years ago, and she did say, you know, that, that part of that was because of her age. So mm. being so young when she got into the business, but you know, by the time you know it was the early seventies from Taiwan and then coming to Hong Kong, she's got you know a good five. 10 years on a lot of the coming stars mm. of guess, in, the, in the early 80s, you know. And I think, it, I, I always feel like it's a combination. So you've got on the one side, she's quite commanding. She can, she has that sort of power in terms of, of choosing the roles mm. for her career and, and the stuff that's interesting. Mm. But also I think with the, you know, particularly with the directors from the new wave and that were coming out of the new wave kind of ideals, which, you know, which, you know, as a kind of, a, a, as a bit of an outsider, kind of includes Ronnie Yeo as well. Yeah. You know, mm. they, they looked to her as, as, as a strong character. They were looking for mm. nice, there seemed to be this desire to find strong female roles, mm. which comes from the sort of 60s mm. Cheng Pei Pei, mm. um, you know, and Angela Mao kind of icons. Mm. But then it, trans- you know, 70s, uh him, you know, uh, Chang Chae invents this kind of macho cinema in Hong Kong and then mm. you know Chai Hark and so are really massively intent on bringing it back and she is just like she's the she's the role model for that that those characters mm. of being yes mm. no, she's not going to take any shit from anyone she's not the the fawning damsel in distress she's always the strong character who's just <laughs> coming in and kicking everybody's asses basically and I think mean, you know that's one of the you know I suppose she's one of the 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 great icons of Hong Kong cinema is because you know she was they were looking for someone and she was it basically. And but she was also in a position where she could pick those roles Mm. and play them Mm. beautifully as well. Mm -hmm. She had that experience. Mm. We can't we can't talk about the cast without talking about Francis Ng and uh, (laughs) Elaine Lau as the conjoined (laughs) twins (laughs) of the (laughs) evil cult.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's it's an inter- interesting villain slash villains, uh, I guess. Mm. Uh,
0: it's it's but, it, but I guess. I mean, but it's part- so it's beautifully beautifully. It is, yeah. And camply played by by the pair of them. It's a- but it
1: works. It's one of those things <laughs> that kind of maybe shouldn't work, but but it actually works very well. It, even just the even the voices and everything. I remember, but I I guess maybe that kind of partly ties. You know, we we're just talking about like the. And, it, you know the sort of films take on like if you say gender p- gender politics and everything like that with the of mm. reversals of match right. female roles and everything it's an odd way to kind of visualize some kind of conflict in there through those but it's but it works and it, partly because um I mean Elaine didn't do too many films everything but Francis um you know he's still quite early in his career I guess because mm. he didn't really take off to like the late late 80s give or t- yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but he so was mid-notches? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, well, by taking off, I think I would say just when you get into that Hong Kong pattern of making at least five films a year. Mm. <laughs> so that, that's what that was kind of like late 80s, <laughs> like 88, something like that, when he started doing that. I mean, it was probably, yeah, it was probably not until the mid 90s where he started getting really recognized and noticed. But the, this was kind of at the start where he was he was properly in that sort of mode of doing lots of films. Like, yeah, because uh, he also he, he was in like Flirting Scholar the same year and Kung Fu Cult Master and it's a Wong Jing classic Jelene mm. <laughs> <Gently laughs> Samo so. and unsurprisingly uh, Ching Miao you know big surprise for pre- her appearing in early 90s Wong Jing film um, but you know he, but he's great in that and this it wasn't it's an odd role everything like that to have taken off I
0: mean I think you know I mean it's, it's it speaks to you know and that's I think that's I mean personally that's what I love about Francis the most is that you know he throws himself <laughs> into these, these you know camp you know there can be quiet. Yeah funny roles you know yeah. in a sense but just absolutely embraces it completely you know yeah,
1: definitely you
0: know, he's always there 120% <laughs> <doing that. Exactly. laughs> but, I, but I think that's
1: one of the but like you're saying it, he throws himself in but he was never for better or worse I don't know what he'd say about it but as you know looking at some his films everything he was never kind of shackled to that kind of leading leading man status yeah. it's
0: quite interesting actually you know Maybe so he's that, but, but he, it's one of those things where is that just the way that the the the, the Cookies fell, or whatever the expression is, or is that just him? Yeah, you know, I going don't, for those.
1: It would be, yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to know more about it. It's but not even like he doesn't have the
0: looks. You know, he's a, <laughs> a good-looking bloke. The rom-com lead, but he never really. <laughs> but he even never really kind of did much in that.
1: No, but even like action films and stuff like that, you you know, or horror films or all this stuff. He's and even when he like turned into a bit of like filmmaking stuff, it was quite, you know, left field type of stuff. So he's very mm-hmm. very interesting guy, but. But yeah, I mean, great great villains in there and everything like that. And this is probably one of the reasons maybe why I kind of remember it being a wackier film than it actually is, is because mm. of because of them, because it does stand out, not in a bad Definitely. way, but compared yeah. to other more grounded aspects of the film, as we said, and everything, but yeah, it works, you've got strong
0: strong cast members there, but... I mean, you've got a lot of decent supporting cast as well, I mean, mm. yeah, I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, Eddie Coe, good old Eddie Coe from. Oh uh, yes. Well, he's probably best known as as the guy that saves Matt Damon from <laughs> uh, right. in the Martian. Now he's it's in the Martian, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he was,
1: he was in he was in the Postman Strikes Back though, as well. He he's worked with the Run of You before everything, so I guess they were mm. known known yes, to each yeah. other and everything. But he and he That's was in right. Lethal Weapon Four uh, <laughs> as well. So he kind of bounced. He did. Uh, I've got a feeling he was based in Canada um, at the same mm. same time, so I so maybe that sort of ties into it. But you've also got yeah Jeffrey Lau turning up in there, you know him, the classic and Mortuary Blues, Haunted Cop Shop, to Thunder Cops, to Chinese Odyssey, you know so it's you know it's got a very good cast of sort of quite recognizable nice. Hong Kong sort of genre players from the time. Which if you're doing this kind of thing where you've got background characters who are not in it for very long and you're not overcomplicating the plot then. Having those kind of actors playing them is definitely a big benefit to a film like yeah. this because you don't really need to overcomplicate it if you, you can see someone you recognise.
0: So, I mean, yeah, if we're going to kind of wrap up talking about The Bride of White Hair directly. I mean, is there anything uh, else you guys want to kind of...
1: No, I think we've been pretty... fairly. I think pretty comprehensive. I mean...
2: I mean, I think one of the things that did come up when I was looking at this was that someone... Who'd written about it says that it's actually also can be seen as a version of a um 19 um I think it's 43 um story called The White-Haired Girl, which was a theatrical mm-hmm. play, um and okay. was um uh and the character of the wolf girl is in this kind of which becomes a theatre play and <clears throat> becomes a ballet. Um mm and was kind of a communist revolutionary um, play. Okay. So, so it's quite interesting because it, because um, the, the writer talks about Bridget Lynn, talk, doesn't talk about the film in, in the light of it being an adaption, but talks about it as it being related to this, and, and Bridget Lynn's mm. character therefore related to the wolf girl that, that mm. you do have in the film. So I thought that was quite yeah. interesting because it kind of says that the film's kind of sort of a, a subversion of that kind of, um, you know, communist ideology that you had yeah. in that kind of story of of, of of really a girl that's rescued, whereas mm-hmm. you don't, you know, Bridget Lynn here is the, um, doesn't need to be rescued.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably a discussion to be had there about the about the origins of, of, the, story, of the original story then, isn't there? And well,
1: so- it ties into old Confucian ideals and... Yeah, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think yeah. it's
2: interesting because they obviously you know inspiration comes from quite a lot of different places mm. Um, so that you know what has that sort of Romeo and Juliet it also has those kind of and, and of course in Chinese cinema you know women were you know if we're talking about sort of Chinese cinema sort of pre the mm. split um, mm. women were in very um were in were protagonists they were in the main roles you know they were Mm -hmm. you know during the communist revolution women were you know not seen just as mothers or daughters but they were seen as warriors as well Mm -hmm. so i think there's kind of that tradition that this this kind Mm -hmm. of looks back to as well
1: yeah yeah it's a good point and it would be interesting to kind of dive into that kind of influence on the source material for this and probably which would be sourced material for like a bunch of other films as well like a lot of those different writers in that yeah. kind of period everything because there's, yeah, there's, there's no way they weren't getting influenced by those kind of specifically that kind of you know, new ccp cccc mm. movements <coughs> and stuff like that everything yeah.
0: so yeah definitely, definitely so we broken right here i mean you yeah, know let's kind of look at, at what happened next so it was amazing mm. it was a, a massive success and it did make real kind of waves internationally um, so then we very quickly got the sequel. The White Hair here too.
1: Uh, it was nineteen ninety three as well, technically, I believe. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, yeah. It yeah, was it right at the end of nineteen ninety three. So I mean, there a couple of things I find quite interesting. I mean, it's one of them is. Oh, well, they're both kind of connected, but what is quite interesting is that it seems to be really trying hard to introduce a new generation yeah. of Hong Kong talent okay. which it doesn't do a great job of, yeah. and most of them don't really go on to do much so you, you know you basically you've got Christy Cheng in there who was in a few films about this time but then her career didn't really massively do much no. um, you know and you've got some other people there who who, who go on and do a little but it, it does feel like they were trying to introduce a new direction mm and as part of that, I think what's what's quite interesting is is to look at some of the some of the newer versions of, of some of these Hong Kong classics that are turning up on the streaming sites in China. Yeah, talking about those, I mean, it does seem to be one from this year of of uh, which is going under the title of White-haired Devil Lady or or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> what again, it's this? it's 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 under it's it's original title is the original title of the yeah. Of the, we've had, you know, with the 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 revisions that started at the beginning of the decade, the new version of a Chinese ghost story. Uh, Chi- Chinese um, fairy story. There was a new version. So it seems to be referred... Uh,
1: most of the things I read about it seems to be a Chinese fairy story now. Yeah. yeah. Well, which uh, is new, a <laughs> new one on me, but that's what it seems to be referred yeah. to everywhere now. But but there, there, was, we, a, yeah. there
0: was a version of... Uh, got a version of, 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 of Legend of Zhu as well. Yeah. And then, you know, it just kind of kicked off a few... So we, we, we had the, the, the white-haired witch of Lunar Kingdom in <laughs> Um Yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, which just lacked that kind of chemistry between the stars and, and kind of it felt a bit awkward in terms of trying to do maybe a mm. bit more of the story, but then trying to kind of play up to the romance of, uh, definitely trying to play into the romance mm. uh, of the bride with white hair
1: for sure but then Um, it's just miscast completely it's it's just i mean for everything we've said about um i mean yeah i mean bright of white hair as well as like the great direction everything as we said it's like you know the you know the insanely good casting and acting for this one it's like the opposite because you know jacob chung he's not a bad director he can do Mm. blockbusters you know even if you take bright of white hair and you can up the the pointless battle scene action content and everything like it still has at the center the sap a sappy love story um and, you know, Fan Bing, Bing's okay. She's, she's, she's never been a bad actor. She just makes a lot of stupid choices. But then you have, like, Huang Xiaoming, who's, again, not a bad actor, but he's dreadful in this. In fact, yeah. he, he looks like he doesn't want to be there. Anytime he's kind of holding it, it's almost like an arm's length, like, get away from me, woman. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not particularly bothered about being here today. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, again, it's not massively his fault. The character's kind of written that way. He's not massively interested in her. And the film. No, and so then, then to suddenly yeah, switch and into then she love has stuff to kind doesn't of, work. She has
2: to sacrifice herself for him. That so has that kind of, Exactly. You know, everything that, that kind of the original wasn't, you know, so I'm gonna yeah. buy mm. my kind I'm gonna forget you in order to, <laughs> um, you know, in order to save you, if you like, but but then we'll be back together Even though he again, kind of like the next life. But you're not. It's not like Rouge where you want them to be together again.
3: You just don't yeah.
2: care
1: it's a, it's a bad, okay. ending, bad ending for him as well he's like we'll be together in the next life he's like oh god I just want to go away and <laughs> yeah. conquer conquer some eth- you know some ethnic tribes and, and,
0: then, and then I remember James you <laughs> telling me about you know, how you felt but then it ends with the, the classic theme tune from <sighs> The Brain Hair you're making the, the whole connection between the two whereas you could have kind of gone yeah. okay well it's not the same film so forget it but, but, uh, but
1: then they oh we're going to stamp it home and everything
3: 是啊
1: and everything it's just it's such an awkward film it feels almost like if they'd made it 10 years earlier 10 years later it would have been a, probably better or i mean more mm. watchable if they'd made it now everything it would still be i think it'd be more honest about what kind of film it was just like a, a cash grab type thing yeah. whereas this one as you say it kind of had the the gall to try and you know tie itself into the original which was even just a mistake i'd it's not a terrible film, but it's even worse for not being yeah. that bad. It's just such a classic averager <laughs> you know, it's I mean, just, for me, ugh.
0: in terms of legacy, the Phantom Love <laughs>
1: is that legacy? was that a DVD or was that a Laserdisc?
0: Well, that was a, that was a DVD. <laughs> But I do have that on um, <laughs> that story, the Lesley well. You, see, it's good old Leslie there again. It's nice. I mean, purpose. you know, I mean, it, it, you know, like we're saying, I mean, we already kind of touched on this mm. with the the, but that was pretty much the whole creative of the bro white right here. Yeah, <laughs> moving on and doing the Phantom Lover and doing yeah. an this not with Bridget because she's retired. But it's it, it's as I remember it, it's more of a musical, but it you know very very gothic. I think. You know, really, in some ways, it's kind of a bit underrated. And again, it's a very beautiful-looking film.
1: But uh, I mean, Phantom F- Lover, though I think, but it was in Mandarin, right? It wasn't a Hong Kong film technically. I think it was a mainland film. Uh, if I'm wrong, wrong, you can cut. If I'm it wrong, was a you can no, cut It was but, uh.
2: because I remember there were kind of problems with the kind of romantic <clears throat> elements of it, so they had to mute. Yes, it,
1: exactly. That, that's why I remember that because I, I spent a while mm. trying to get the DVD from it before. And then i remember being confused why it was um it was from another old ddd house one back in the yeah. day and i remember like being confused as you know why is mandarin the you know the top track you the could get like soundtrack, a, yeah yeah yeah, you yeah. Get like a so it's i mean it, it coming only a like couple of years after however long it was from bright of white hair i mean it's yeah it seems like a stab at you know taking elements from it again sort of, mm-hmm. a sort of the sort of doomed love story type stuff more for the kind of the mainland market Kind of at that point. I mean, this was before the market was massively taking over, but um, at the same time, it, it it seems to like take different elements from different things, but package it kind of into. I mean, successfully, it's still a good, it's still a very cool film.
0: Everything. I mean, like it's, that, it's, right? it's quite interesting again. I, I you know I mean it, it, I think in some ways, yeah, I was kind of underrated for this, but kind of recognizing that there wasn't maybe wasn't at that point, but there would be an audience there and trying to it a bit more. You know, yeah. again, he's kind of yeah, kind of ahead of the curve. Absolutely, know, totally. and maybe that's why this
1: it isn't as as you know oft mentioned
3: no. as all these other stuff
1: <laughs> yeah. because it, it's not like a hundred percent. Because it's not like a Hong Kong film, even though it has the cast and everything. So yeah, maybe maybe that is part of it. And, and five years later, ten yeah. years later,
2: and Leslie Chung had a lot to do with it. I mean, he was involved mm. in the score and everything. So I think that he's. He, I mean i i've seen him being interviewed about it and he had quite a lot of impact it's sort of a lot of okay yeah um he was involved a, a, a great deal i mean uh, one of the things about Leslie chung is people don't kind of sometimes realize that you know he wasn't just an actor he was a singer he was a composer mm. he, he was yeah incredibly multi-talented and i yeah. think in mm. the phantom lover all those kind of things came together and we kind of get a hint of you know what it would have been if he had been able to make more films um, but mm. yeah he was very very um, and this is it's a it's a remake of a film called a song at midnight, song at midnight. yeah Ah, yeah yeah
0: yeah which is a, it is a great movie definitely worth checking out as well song at yeah. mm-hmm.
1: then you've got the Forbidden Kingdom
0: well you know let's talk about the legacy of, of, of you know, I mean, yeah. there's the, the white-haired character in Forbidden Kingdom, I think, you know, fine. Easily not the worst Jackie Chan, uh, Western <laughs> Hollywood film. <laughs> or, but then or that's wh- not or, same or, much. Or, or from anywhere where Jackie Chan <laughs> Yeah. Um, it interested me that, that, again, it's one of these things that kind of mm. got far enough to be kind of brought into what is, you know, a, a Western take really on... All those kind of share influences. Mm, so that was co-production, sure. I believe. You know, but yeah, um, I think this, in terms of the legacy of Broader White Hair. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot coming out of 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 the the crew that made the film. You got, okay. as we said, you know, Peter Bowes yeah. winning Oscar. Mm. Um, yeah, coming back to Emmy um, Wider and I wasn't really aware of this, but you know, she she went on and she did Storm Riders. Okay. she did oh. Hero and house of flying daggers so she had quite a career yeah. and she's still working you know but working on both um japanese movies and a, a big a lot of movies in, in hong kong yeah but also i kind of a kind of looking back on what she's done which is you know like i said it's a super it, it's really kind of hyper stylistic look at asian mm. um but not just japanese or chinese but uh but you kind of—I feel like some of that kind of came into the costume design in again, damning with faint praise, *The Phantom Menace*. Um, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> but you know that that very hyper stylized Asian look, which is not quite—it's yes. not quite Japanese, it's not quite. But you kind of look at the costume design there and compare that with like some of um, uh, Bridget Lynn's characters and also mm. the uh, Francis and Elaine Lau characters, and, and mm. what happens there is—you uh, know. Uh, I feel like there's there's quite an influence, and also, you know you definitely see her influence over when there was the resurgence of of Wu in the in the noughties. Mm. And it, mm. it was moving to the mainland. Yeah. It's it's not very grounded anymore. That that's that becomes extremely stylized in terms of what these costumes would have looked like, and that's carried all the way through. I think now mm. this there's become this new language, which isn't you know people are trying very hard not to do the sort of 70s and 80s style of kind of of, of costume just yeah. was you know not there wasn't much to it you know you know it's trying to make it kind of I guess a bit more kind of of a cinematic impact you know but the, the, there's so much in there and mm. in the details you know and I guess you know you've also got the, the fantasy Lord of the Rings kind of style of stuff as well but trying to make that kind of same mm. impact in terms of the the, the costume design I, I don't really remember it happened to this degree before the brebie white hair. And definitely kind of into the noughties. and you know, she's one of the main main people. So I mean actually quite a, a strong legacy there.
2: And I mean I kinda of think, you know, one of the legacies of the film is that it was one of the few films that brought Leslie Chung and Bridget Lynn together and I kinda of think oh. it 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 has a place in history separate to the genre in that that, mm. that you have these kind of two stars and I think the only other film they were in after this besides the sequel was Ashes of Time,
3: yeah. which was yeah. kind of yeah. the
2: final yeah. film. So, I mean, I kind of think it, it's kind of... it also It's a fitting legacy of those two actors who were at their peak in the film. So I think mm. it's a legacy in terms of... You know genre in terms of people worked on, but in terms of Hong Kong cinema, but also in terms of of the kind of actors and actresses who were in that, for whom, you know, it's it's kind of film that, you know, won't be forgotten for lots of different reasons. And I think it's you know part of Leslie chung's le- legacy. I think it's a very important part of his
0: legacy. <laughs> The and White here is available from Eureka as part of their Eureka Classics collection. It has a whole host of extras on there, with interviews and audio commentaries.
5: Hi, I'm Fan from China and I'm part of this Udine FF campus this year. The film that I want to talk about is Dance With Me. Why do some people like to watch musicals, wonder Shizuka or Discreet? tempt an industrious Japanese office lady working at a well-established financial company in Tokyo. She exudes the air of professionalism and cautiousness typical of the Japanese salaryman and seems the least likely to let herself loose. Isn't it nutty that the musical actors swing their bodies and belt out songs out of the blue? She reasons. However, after getting tranced into believing that she was born a devil by a charlatan hypnotist, Shizuka cannot help but turn into boisterous, assertive, untamable music, leads dancing to the beat. In order to break the spell and revert back to a normal life, Shizuka needs to chase down the hypnotist and thus has many strange yet hilarious encounters on a wild road trip through the Japanese countryside. A breezy blend of musical road trip and comedy. Dance With Me depicts the story of a woman discovering her talent for musicals which she initially abhors. Director Shinobu Yaguchi conceived the idea after seeing many foreign musicals. As he pointed out in a recent interview, Japanese audiences generally find bursting into song and dance very strange, and by making this film he hoped to cross this barrier. However, Yaguchi believes that he is tweaking typical musicals by giving Dance With Me an anti-musical musical musical element. Instead of smoothing the plot or helping to reveal the innermost feelings and thoughts of the leads, the musical parts often want trouble and could leave well the audiences wondering if they are indeed watching a musical at all. On a scale of 0 to 5, I would give Dance With Me 3 stars for the satisfactory acting alone. The sheer enthusiasm and liveliness lead Mio she radiates. When Shizuka loses herself in dance is contagious, and at the point it may even make you want to think alone. However, speaking from experiences as a connoisseur of stage musicals and those of Hollywood and Bollywood, I would say the plot is loose and could have been more spiced up. Sure. The film is intended to be funny and lighthearted, but that should not come at the cost of not fully exploring the relationship tensions. For example, Shizuka seems to have an interesting crush on a charismatic male superior who uses his charms to have the female clerks work on extra tasks, but in the end she gets over these feelings. The plot could be significantly more hilarious, at least for me, if the superior was, say, teased by Shizuka dancing around him and pulling off his pretensions. Yet the actual film only brushes off the problem by having Shizuka turn down a job promotion. In addition, the symbiotic relationship between the elderly hypnotist and his middle-aged female accomplice deserves closer examination. In the film, they calm people into paying for their non-existent hypnotizing magic. But it would be fun to see how this rare success on Shizuka makes them legitimate hypnotists, able to paddle their tricks and enjoy a greater extent of fame. Unsure of whether to accept her job promotion despite not finding genuine passion in it, Shizuka can confidently walk away from the winner's career path at the end of the film, knowing that she has discovered, proven, and inalienable talent for, mu- for musicals. This might be the biggest takeaway apart from the much-needed stress-relieving laughter the film surely provides. Personally, it presents a cheerful, though unlikely, alternative to the monotonous, depressing office life of forever being confined in a cubicle and tempered by corporate rules. Just like Shizuka, people might have some undiscovered talent and unkind of passion. Hypnotize yourself be open to suggestions and you might just stumble upon your real gift
0: so now let's head on over to Ethan kicks Picks. <laughs> uh, this is this is uh stuff that is, is either uh recent releases or discoveries that we <laughs> discover uh, Fallen over, um, <laughs> while searching for something completely different on Amazon or, or Netflix or uh, various other streaming services.
1: But this, of course, comes with the usual disclaimer as a correct time of recording. So it might not be true tomorrow.
0: <laughs> or even in five minutes. <laughs> uh,
1: but there, there's quite a lot more stuff at the moment, when he, probably because of the, the double um, the double gut punch of having been in you know, lockdown for, for yes, obviously most yes. part of the yeah. year so we reduce content and then mo- less things being made internationally as well so mm. it, it makes sense i actually thought we'd have seen even more you, you know asian content being hoovered up to be honest with you but you know we, we are seeing more stuff kind of appear um at the moment i mean starting with netflix we've had a few ones recently appearing like you know the japanese film mother
3: yes. was kind of dropped yeah. on
1: there recently which i it's you know high up on my list to watch or anything but i i haven't got into it yet but um it seems like another sort of dark, domestic type drama about mother and son crime type of thing. So, it sounds good. Well, I've heard it's pretty good, so I'm definitely going to give it a go. Girls' Revenge, a Taiwanese film, which was, it's very short as well, less than an hour and a half. So, it's kind of a schoolgirl you know, revenge type thing, but not really a massively revenge type revenge thing. But uh, the review's up on Eastern Kicks, so probably best just to head over there, <laughs> head over to Eastern <laughs> Kicks and check it out. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's another, there's a Korean sort of horror thriller one, The Call, landing in a couple of days' time, uh, which I'm looking forward to checking out. Um, and yeah, I, I've come across a couple of other ones on Netflix recently, like uh, A Sun, the, the Taiwanese film just selected for the Oscars okay. is yeah. on there. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know A Land Imagined was on Netflix, the Singaporean one as well, so we're getting more okay. stuff on there. But a question, I collect, I don't know if you can answer this one, like I saw Detention from Taiwan is coming. But it seems to be a series and not, not the film. So I just want to... I, I know you know like a lot more. about. Well, yeah. So I was slightly confused. I don't know. Because Netflix, to be honest, it does make a lot of mistakes before a
3: film goes live. It does, but, but so there's I,
2: been... I, it probably is. I mean, there, there, there's, lots, there's been lots of um, series made of kind of films. No, it's definitely... Okay. okay. Well, I don't know. It says... So it says, new episode coming on the 5th of December
1: yes exactly and it says
2: tv programs based on books taiwanese tv programs
1: okay because it seems to be the it certainly seems to be the same source material and stuff but uh, you know i i don't know if that's a netflix blip or if it's yeah like like you say if it's common that they actually have series from the same source material or maybe a tie-in or follow-on from the film i'm not sure
2: it might be it might be it's difficult to know until until Kind of things drop. It looks. I mean, I look. have to say, from the first couple of minutes, it does look good.
0: Okay. This is where, where we lose Colette while she watches. <laughs> <see>. <laughs> this is
1: we have a vague recommendation. Okay. we <laughs> confirmed <Yeah>. it's a <laughs> series, I mean, and it, it looks pretty good. good.
2: I mean, I do. I do sometimes with these things because I think. I think. I think. Kind of Amazon's a bit worse for the quality of some of the stuff that gets uploaded. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Yes. Hundred um, percent.
2: So so I tend to really have a look at some of this stuff before i i start watching it i mean i kind of think Mm. the chinese Taiwanese, um there's a lot of kind of thai stuff at the moment a lot of thai stuff on Mm. on on kind of um amazon but
1: well i mean some of the stuff i found on amazon i mean um there there seems to be like a bunch of these internet films where we should i assume it's probably Mm. some kind of partnership because i don't know why you'd bother otherwise but you know you've got like haunted dormitory marionette teacher haunted dormitory white paper girl haunted cinema 2 haunted graduation photo <laughs> insect master i mean i i don't know this i mean, intriguing enough but on the same and they're all like full quality on the other side i found stuff like recently wicked ghost 3 the possession which is a <laughs> great haunt. Well, it's a very enjoyable, not great film from Hong Kong, with, which has Ring artwork on the DVD cover. But yeah, like you're saying, you look at that, that's that's a DVD. That, that's, I mean, it's not that I expect somebody to remaster. Well, maybe I could. That, that would be a nice project, remaster the, the Wicked Ghost trilogy for all the fans out there. Um, but this is just a DVD up there, and things stuff like Shiver is up there for like £2 to watch now, and everything. And from the, again, everything about it, it just looks like somebody's uploaded a DVD. Uh, whether or not they're going to actually make much money from that, it's another question entirely. Them, but <laughs> but they've all, but even stuff like we, we touched on like the Enchanting Phantom before, you know, the, the Chinese ghost story, that's up there now uh, on Amazon properly. So it's there's, there's a lot more of this stuff kind of leaking through, and I'd be really interested to know if this is like um, some kind of partnership or deal where, you know, finally some of these internet platforms are working with someone like Amazon. Uh, whether it's selling stuff to push it out there because I mean I I don't see why they wouldn't you I know mean, makes sense but I've not I've not read anything about it
2: I mean there's there there's a demand you can, you can kind of mm. see by by the way in which um there's kind of restorations and mm. That, that there is a demand for these these kind of films and I, mean, I kind of think that, you know, Hong Kong film, I always, in, in terms of kind of like horror film but mm. for me it's kind of Italian film in the 70s mm.
3: that,
2: that that's where it is kind of 60s, 70s and then it's kind of Hong Kong as, as, as the places yeah, yeah. that are the most kind of original and innovative and I think add the most to the genre um, mm, and I think yeah. there's links between kind of You know, um, Italy and and kind of Hong Kong, but I think I think there's kind of renewed interest, and I think certainly at the moment we're all watching a lot more stuff than we we would have done, and and Mm. you can see that the demand has grown, I mean it's obviously I mean connection net, Netflix- mm.
0: demand has grown and the content hasn't you know, so that's, <laughs> Yeah, I mean uh, yeah. I mean we, we talked about this in our uh, our last podcast when we did the have yeah. special but you know that the, the, there is an opportunity here for there to be a lot more mm. for people like Netflix and Amazon mm. and it do seem to be a lot you know probably not a, a really a, a, a great idea but there is see some more platforms popping up as well but yeah for though for the, them to be picking up content because there's still going to be a big gap between new content actually mm. coming in from a lot of places you know particularly in the west sure and, and also even just for
1: and um, europe and the west if you're you know you know there's a fair chinese like chinese audience in the uk and stuff like and accessing like and watching stuff on the like, ichi yoko and stuff it's not really easy to do in the uk you know yeah. you'll, you'll get a bad connection or you have to vpn it and stuff so if, if the stuff was just on amazon you, know, you can still watch it in the same way.
2: You, you now can. I've subscribed to IQIYI. They, they now mm. do a subscription in the UK.
1: Oh, really? That's not, I don't know. Oh, yeah.
2: So I've subscribed to them. Wow. Okay. Um, for because I wanted to see a a drama program called The Bad Kids, which has got oh, really, yeah, really yeah, good reviews. Sure, sure. And, it, <laughs> and it's on here, and it mm. was um five pounds i think five pounds a month for without uh, okay without um adverts so yeah i somebody said something on twitter and because uh, i didn't know it was available
3: no oh, I, 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 Yeah, I it ever. is
2: available now so, so you've actually got um a, a site that you can have much more access to some of the chinese dramas and chinese well, that's
1: films. With fully subtitles, I'm guessing. Yeah, everything. Yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. I, I had no idea nice. about that. Well, that's okay. Well, that blows what I just said out of the water, then. <laughs> <laughs> no more point for and There we go. But um, on a personal level, that that's good to know. I would like to check out um, Dead Kids in particular, but, mm. but it's for films as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ah, that's nice. Okay, so
0: that's it for now. Thanks to Colette for joining us on this episode.
2: Thank you for asking me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no problem at all. We'll be on future ones. Don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode. But for now, time to say goodbye and cheers.
1: Cheers. here she <laughs>